Welcome back to Raven's Recap. Don't worry, we're still here. I heard from a couple fans that were like, oh, you're, you're doing a show tonight? Are you doing a show soon? We never left. <laughs> We've been on a pretty good schedule. We told you what to expect, but we're back. We've got some interesting news as far as the Ravens' new coaches, and also a little bit of a retrospective. We, we do want to talk about some of the most improved players, disappointing players, and of course, our top five moments from the 2020 season. That's always kind of a fun thing to do. But let's start off with the news. The Ravens have hired seven coaches since we last spoke to you, which is pretty considerable. A lot of coaches have left, and um, they've taken coaches with them. So let's start off at the top. I think it's the people we're most excited about. Keith Williams is our new pass game specialist, and T. Martin is our new wide receivers coach. Keith Williams has coached Hill, Watkins, and Adams, and he brought him in to ramp up the passing game. I mean, that's a that's a great resume right there. Uh, Hill and Adams. I mean, if, if Marquise Brown could get to that level of that, I mean, we've been doing backflips for days. So <laughs> hopefully he's comes in and brings d- some big time tips and coaching. And we can finally stop talking about how we need the passing game to be more consistent. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I certainly think, uh, they're interesting hires in that. I don't think the, I don't think Harbaugh has made hires like this quite as often. Um, I think we were just talking last episode where his, his cronyism, I think, is well-documented. And uh, these coaches, I don't think they've ever worked for Harbaugh before. But uh, clearly, they've worked with a lot of NFL wide receivers, good NFL wide receivers, uh, both Keith Williams and T. Martin. And yeah, from what I've heard from from some people, apparently, uh, T. Martin was also a pretty good coach uh, at the University of Tennessee. He was a wide receiver coach over there. Uh, apparently they've had some pretty good receivers uh, in the college ranks the past couple of years. So I, I think a lot of fans have got to be excited, uh, especially, you know, I, I think we talked about David Colley last episode too, and that, you know, he maybe he didn't get, you know, maybe he didn't deserve all the criticism that was warranted last year. But certainly, I mean, you know, you look at his career, he's not a wide receiver coach. He's just an NFL coach who happens to coach a lot of different position groups, right? These guys coming in, they are specifically for wide receivers, right? That's their expertise. That's that's what they're good at. So if I were like Miles Boykin or Devin Duvernay, I would be super happy with these hires because, you know, you're going to get these people who really know what they're doing to coach you up. Yeah, Correspondent Kayfish and I were talking about it, and I loved his analogy. He's like, yeah, if uh, Hollywood Brown becomes the next Tyreek Hill and Miles Boykin becomes a Devonta Adams type, like, we'd be cooking. <laughs> so... <laughs> I have been on the record many times saying I think the talent is in the building. It's just a matter of refining them and actually you know, fitting the scheme to them. I'm excited to see some fresh blood, particularly as a pass game specialist and wide receivers coach. I think they'll bring a lot to the passing game without having to change the offensive coordinator. Again, it's really important to remember it's not just one guy, right? Like Greg Roman does a lot. He definitely is a big contributor. But if Keith Williams and T. Martin are in the same room, and they will be, and they are coaching up these guys, they'll have inputs. And I think it's going to be really nice to have coaches, like you said, dedicated to the wide receiver room. I'm not sure if we've ever put that kind of dedication on it before. Like this seems, this seems special. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I was, I was just thinking about this uh, the other day, actually, as I was listening to our previous episode where we were talking a little bit about Miles Boykin and, you know, how he may have been a little bit disappointing um, when we were going over the recap episode. And, you know, I was, I was thinking about it and I was like, well, you know, I think the the one big thing that separates a guy like him from, you know, uh, I'd say these preseason warriors that we've had in the past, you know, Tommy Streeter being one example or Tandon Doss being another example or um, it was a Millette, I think, was another example of, yeah. of one of these like really late round picks who had these great size and, and speed, but they never panned out to anything, right? They never made it out of preseason. But with Miles Boykin, it was like, he's had significant number of snaps the past few years. So clearly, like, the coaches here recognize that he could be a really good player. We just haven't figured out a way to really get him to tap into his potential. And I think these hires are, like, a direct result of that, of of the coaching staff wants to, you know, they want to trust a guy like Boykin to be able to make that next step. They just haven't found the pieces around them. And hopefully, you know, one of these two guys or both of them will be able to get a lot more potential out of them. Yeah, that's a really great point. Um, because, like you said, you're going back to what we discussed in the, in the recap. The Ravens invested a lot of draft capital in the wide receiver position the past two drafts. I would be surprised if they don't at least 
draft another one as a late round pick this coming draft. And if they bring in a guy in free agency, that's that's great. But you got to find a way to develop these guys that you put capital and you put resources towards. And we're talking about this might be a new direction that the Ravens haven't really gone before. And I think, you know, we've got to really applaud them for taking this move because the only way that they're eventually going to get over the hump is to try something different because past methods haven't worked. So yeah, I can complete agreement that, you know, this is, these are probably underrated moves that could have huge impacts going forward. Well, you could say, you know, the, that the Ravens are taking a little bit of a leap with, with going after Williams and Martin. They're not guys who have any obvious connections in-house. Um, some of the guys from the defensive side do. Obviously, you got Rob Ryan, who's Rex Ryan's twin brother, right? Am I correct on that? He looks a lot like him. <laughs> yeah. <Thought so? laughs> yeah. Well, they're at least brothers, so maybe they're twins, maybe they're not. Um, <laughs> uh, then you also have Anthony Weaver coming in yes. as a D-line coach, uh, former Raven, who my biggest memory of Anthony Weaver is that I re- always remember that he was on the team from those years because those are my biggest years playing the Madden video game, and Anthony Weaver was always a starter on those defenses. I honestly <laughs> can't remember a single Anthony Weaver highlight. He kind of reminds me of... Chris Wormley, I think those, that's pretty adequate <laughs> just oh, comparison man. there. But um, he had some success as a D-line coach in, in Houston, and hopefully he can bring things some good things here to Baltimore. Uh, and then Jason Brooks, son of Clarence Brooks, who obviously was a defensive line coach here for the Ravens for a little bit. So those names, I think each of them, there's reasons to believe they can bring something good to the table and help to keep this defense going strong. But yeah, those are definitely more in-house when you compare to to the other two guys. Yeah, I think initially, um, uh, you know, my reaction with Rob Ryan, and I'm sure some other people felt this way as well, is that, you know, he's, I mean, he's been a coach for a long time uh, in the league. And, uh, you know, when, you know, I guess we talk about the Ravens wanting to get younger on the, uh, in terms of personnel, you don't think about that in terms of coaching. But I think a lot of people were expecting that with some of the departures. They're just, you know, some older coaches, I think, who have been around a while. Again, back to like the the Harbaugh sort of uh, cronyism and, and, and history, right? You know, you just haven't had as much fresh blood coming in. And initially, Rob Ryan was like, okay, well, we're kind of continuing down that path. But now, you know, when I look at the whole list of new coaches that we have here on the defensive staff, you know, having a, a veteran guy out of, you know, five, four other hires on the defensive side of the ball actually may not be a bad thing, all things considered. You know, certainly Rob Ryan has, has worked with defense a lot. His brother was obviously here for a long time. I, I still say that Rex Ryan's defenses in 2006 and 2008 were fantastic. You know, they're probably some of the top, you know, definitely top five defenses that the Ravens have had in terms of their history. Um, Rob has had some su- success as well. So um, I think that'll be a good hire. As far as everybody else, uh, Weaver, Brooks, and, and Lynn, and, and Peterson, you know, I th- I think this is kind of another thing too where you know, we're kind of like the offensive coaches. I think Harbaugh is is given some guys who, you know, have had a little bit of experience, but not a whole lot, giving them chances to step up. So I, you know, I have to applaud him, I think, for uh, for willing to take a, a little bit of a different direction in terms of the staff. Yeah, I'm definitely most intrigued by the new linebacker coaches because similar to wide receiver on the defensive side of the ball, we have two young linebackers in Queen and Harrison that can use all the coaching they can get. And I would love to see them make a step. And I know Rob Ryan and Jay Peterson are going to be a big part of making that happen. So definitely have an, an eye on that. As far as Anthony Weaver, I think that's really cool. You know, him being a previous Raven kind of coming back and try to bring back that, uh, that moxie. Right. Although he wasn't there for those like huge years, right. 2000 or 2006. Um, he was a solid contributor for us when he was here. The thing I'm most excited about with this whole set of new hires is six out of seven of the new hires are, are black men. And I know during the miserable Super Bowl we had to sit through, that was one of the things they talked about a lot with Arians. They gave him a lot of credit for having women on his staff and more black men as part of the staff. And I'm, I'm happy to see that the Ravens are going down that direction as well. I think it's really important to have more diversity in the NFL. It's unbelievable. If you listen to the Ravens podcast about uh, black in the NFL, how many coaches 
are related to coaches or players and stuff. Like it's it's such an insane level of nepotism, and we're seeing it here too, right? They're still like <laughs> players. They're still you know from a coach's lineage, but at least there's some diversity too, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I do think the Ravens, though, overall have done a pretty good job of that throughout their history. Um, obviously, they can do better. Probably the entire league can, but I think the Ravens have done a better job than most franchises with having a pretty diverse coaching staff through the years. I mean, I think it certainly was kind of set here with Ozzie Newsom being the GM. I mean, the first African-American mm-hmm. GM in the NFL, right? That's certainly something. I'm, I'm not exactly sure what the what the data looks like to support that, Peter. But, you know, the, the one thing I was just going to say, too, is that, look, I mean, it, it was definitely a, a hot topic, I think, this year and the previous year as well in, in the NFL. It was just it was a lot of it was brought up because of, of what happened last spring. Uh, and all the stuff that went along with that. And I, I just, I, I think it's great that the coaching staff decided like, hey, we're, we're not going to wait to make this change. We're going to make it now. Again, I think props to them for doing that. With, with a lot of these guys, look, I mean, you know, they've got a little bit of experience, but I don't think there's anything to be worried about with these hires as, as you know, at this point in time. I, I will say one of these coaches in particular, I think is uh, kind of interesting for some of these connections that we've talked about. So uh, Anthony Weaver being a coach in Houston for a while has very close connections and was uh, even referred by J.J. Uh, Watt, who has been recently re- released. So maybe Ooh. it's a good time to bring that up now. What do you guys think? Would J.J. Watt uh, be welcome in a Ravens uniform if you were to be brought over? I think he's certainly welcome, but I think we'll sign Derek Wolf before we sign him, and then we won't sign him because we have Derek Wolf. That's it. That's all I have to say about it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my view on it was I would be probably only slightly more excited for the Ravens if the Ravens did that signing than I was with the Orioles signing Felix Hernandez and Matt Harvey in 2021, which was not at all. So, oh, love man. J.J. Watt. He's had an excellent career, but... I just I don't I think his best days are behind him. Yeah, I think that's I think it's the biggest criticism with Watt. Yeah, clearly it's it's been quite a long time I think since he's been uh, defensive player of the year caliber. Just so many injuries. Gosh, I remember I I don't know if it was like 2018 or something. 2018, tw- one of the few years ago. Um, I think they were playing like a primetime game or something, and I saw him having to walk out in with some sort of knee or, or pec injury or something. And gosh, it's just it's so hard to see, man, because he's such a competitor, such a really great player. I've respected his game for a really long time. But uh, I don't know. I could definitely see it. I mean, I agree with you, you know, Alec in particular. You know, I, I agree that Wolf has done enough to to say that he should deserve another contract here at least for another year or two you know i've i've no problems with the play that he brought with us this past year but man if 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 watt could if watt could channel something from you know it's, it's 2014 you know self it doesn't even have to be as like you know back-to-back defensive player of the year self if it was like one of the other healthy years that he had where he was very productive like if we could channel that again oh man that'd be special because that's the other thing too is that like wolf you know, despite Wolf playing very well in run, in run defense, he wasn't that much of a pass rusher. I think maybe that's kind of one of the only knocks on his game. And I, I don't know if it's solely on his shoulders, but, you know, the Ravens pass rush was a little weak. You know, and Wolf, you know, coming over from Denver, I mean, that was a big part of his game was opening up a lot of sacks for Von Miller. <laughs> But uh, but we just didn't see that same success here. But if JJ Watt can get back to his healthy self, I mean he's he he creates pressure himself. He doesn't even open it up for others. Like he creates it himself. So yeah, one thing you can definitely say about Watt is I think there are very few number of players who've suited up in the NFL who can say that they were tougher than this guy. Um, like you said, he's just pay- played through so much many injuries in his career that would have I think forced players with a lot lower pain tolerance to quit at this point. So I think there's no doubt that he will get picked up by someone and be able to produce at some level. Uh, But I think the question is, you know, with someone of his pedigree, I do question what's the contract that's going to, that's going to take him and will he be able to play up uh, to that? I think he just wants to win though. 
and that's why I do think it's interesting though the more connections I think that we add to Watt it definitely makes it like a strong rumor right I mean you know he has to know the Ravens are super close you know they're extremely close to winning another Super Bowl you know he's known that they've been a great organization for a long time but they haven't been as close as they have been now Houston was close for a little bit but now they're not at all so I don't think he wants to become a part of another rebuilding project. So that leaves out a, a bunch of teams. Um, you know, a lot of people have been throwing around Pittsburgh. But Pittsburgh, they just don't have the cap. It seems extremely unlikely that he would be able to play with his brothers. But if he can't play with his brothers, he can go to the Ravens. They play him twice a year, and he gets to play against his brothers. As somebody with two other brothers, I would relish that opportunity <laughs> to be able to play against them and then have bragging rights for the year. So, Hey, that's true. We'll see what happens. Maybe I'll maybe I'll have to eat crow in a year. We'll see. I do also want to say I, I do find it hilarious. You type in JJ Watt into Google, and along with the normal stats you would usually see with you know someone who's a a public figure, birth date, NFL stats, spouse. They also include uh, how many calories he eats a day as part of <laughs> the general <laughs> profile, <laughs> which is apparently exactly 9,000, according to Google. Damn. Oh, my goodness. It's not quite over 9,000, huh? Not quite. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> wow. Well, I'll say this. Like, if J.J. Watt finds his way into a Ravens uniform, I'm not going to be mad about it. Like, I won't actively petition at the castle about this. I mean, I mean it'd be exciting for sure. I just... Mm-hmm. I'm not particularly sure it will happen. My mother says that I don't know where she got it from, but she said to me that it sounds like the Packers might get him. I mean, that checks out. I was telling her, like, if he wants to win a championship, there's not that many teams he can really go to at this point. Like, it's pretty clear. I think there's like about maybe six to eight teams, more like six that I think are most likely to do it. I mean, obviously, there's always a surprise every year, but we're one of them. So, yeah sure Packers yeah Packers could be another team I mean I, I don't know if they really need help on the D-line but right I mean, he's got that Wisconsin connection so he went to college we'll see we'll see what happens speaking of we'll see what happens man baby Zeus I think since we last recorded the new thing is that he has requested to seek a trade and the Ravens are allowing it so there definitely seems to be some heat there I'm I'm very curious to see what we'll get for this guy I think he's definitely very valuable, but the Ravens are in a weird spot given the fact that, A, he doesn't have too much leverage. Like, if they do not find a trade, he'll have to play for us. Like, it doesn't really make sense for him to hold out. And B, because of that, I don't know if we'll get the best trade offer. So I think we'll need to have teams bid against each other to really drive up the price. Otherwise, we just don't have the leverage to get what he is worth. What do you guys think? It's just so hard to guess what other teams will pay up for because I feel like we were talking about this last year with with Hayden Hurst and I think we were expecting like a fourth fourth round pick back at best maybe a third I mean second round pick I don't think anyone saw coming if I remember correctly um so I mean I think it really just takes the right team to bite now we did talk in the chat that the situation isn't quite the same with between Hurst and Brown I mean first off Hurst like the Ravens had no problem trading him because while certainly he's a very good tight end in this league, he was third on the depth chart behind Andrews and Boyle, and that just wasn't going to change. Brown, while he's the starting right tackle in 2021, if he stays, you know, is still a starter on the team. And, you know, but we said, you know, the contract details is a little different here. And seen several sports writers say, is Brown more valuable to other teams than he is on the Ravens. So, I mean, you have that to consider as well. He's really benefits from a run heavy scheme with the Ravens. So, but again, you know, it just takes one team to bite with Hurst, the Falcons bit. I don't know if the Ravens are getting a second rounder from any other team besides them. So I guess we'll just see what the market is. The more I think about it, just like the more confused, I guess I am in terms of like Brown's motivations here. Like I understand the angle that he took of like, you know, his dad wanted him to play left tackle. I, I I get that. I get wanting to live up to you know what you know the the goals that your parents set for you. But I guess the thing I don't understand is that like at what cost does that make sense? Like is is Brown really willing to go to one of the you know let's just say bottom five run franchises in the NFL just to play left tackle? 
right? Like, what what sort of situation is he looking for? Like, does, do you want to go to another franchise like the Ravens who have an opening at left tackle, or do you, does he literally just want to play left tackle anywhere? I'm kind of questioning, like, kind of like what he wants, like what he ultimately like wants to get out of it more, because um, clearly, I mean, you know, if you're willing to bite on any on any team who's going to give you like the the best contract, like. I mean, I guess if you wanted to force a trade, but like, I don't know why you would, would want to force your way to a team like that, right? I mean, if you were the Ravens and they bid the most, like, you know, and, and they would be willing to part with, you know, that value, okay, you know, I could see it, but it seems really weird. It, it would have to be the right situation for Orlando. It'd have to be the right situation for the Ravens, but I feel like I, they just got to respect each other too much, like mutually to just send Orlando to a team that he's not going to like in a year or two. Right. It just, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So I don't know. The the more it goes on, the more I'm just like, he's probably just going to be here this year, but it's just going to be a off season distraction, but who knows, you know, maybe somebody will bite. Yeah. I do hope that the Ravens stand their ground and don't trade him if they don't get back or it doesn't look like they're going to get back the full package that they would want for this guy. Again, like I said in the previous episode, the Ravens are already kind of ahead in as far as getting value out of Brown because he, talent-wise, he should have been a late first-round pick uh, in 2018, but obviously because the combine went terribly for him, he fell. But you still want to get as much value as you can if the guy's not going to be around for the long haul. So, I think the front office, though, I mean, Eric DaCosta hasn't shown any signs that he would undersell Orlando Brown. So I would assume that if teams aren't going to bite, the Ravens would try and find some way to at least convince Brown to stay an additional year. All right. So that's a wrap on the current news right now. As it is the offseason, we still got a couple more weeks till free agency. That's probably not going to be too many more items between now and then. Uh, So before we put a complete uh, wrap on the 2020 season that almost never was, but turned out to come at us at full, uh, we just wanted to go through some lists of uh, what players were most improved and what disappointed, ranking the rookie class and what the best moments were from the season. We did something similar to this last year, and I thought it was a, a fun exercise. You know, it's light. You know, it gets her mind off the somewhat disappointment of the Ravens not winning it this year and having to see Tom Brady chuck Lombardi around like it's a loaf of bread. But, you know, it was a good season overall, I think. What do you guys think? It was a good year, man. I enjoyed it. It's a shame that we saw Tom Brady have success again. I think, I don't know if there's any Ravens fans who are rooting for that. Maybe there were, but I don't know if you're a Ravens fan then. I jest, but well, we do know there's one. His name is uh, he's a he's a listener to the podcast, right? Yeah, there's one. Yeah. Doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> keep it in. Keep it in. I'll keep it in. I'll keep it in. Oh man! I mean, Chris. come on. It's Pat's fan first, but Ravens like I uh, just I don't know. It doesn't count to me. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. You can still come on the pod. It's fine. It's nothing personal. I'm just saying. Oh, he's fine. He's riding the high because his guy Tom Brady won another Super Bowl. He's fine. Yeah, Life's it's good. really weird though, because like, I, like, I, I was never gonna root for the guy, right? I just, I, I don't, I like myself too much and, and hate Tom Brady too much to be able to root for him. But like, just seeing some of the like videos and stuff on Twitter afterwards and, and some of that, it's just, it's really hard not to laugh sometimes and just like say that like, I hate you on the football field, but like sometimes you're actually kind of likable. <laughs> yeah, you know. That T-Mobile commercial that they they aired during the that Super, was super Bowl. Good. Oh, man. That was so funny. <laughs> that was better than all of probably like four uh, commercials that actually aired during the game. I know. Yeah, it was it was so good. And just the, the video of him walking off the boat, like just completely, <laughs> completely <laughs> drunk after the uh, the celebration boat parade. Like you just, you just have to laugh, man. There's no beer in the TB12 diet, that's for sure. The guy got wasted pretty quick. <laughs> I will yeah. say, um, we were talking about it before the show, but this, we are the, we're the right age group, I guess, to really appreciate the Real Men of Genius ads. And uh, Peter and I both forgot that they like existed, so to speak. But Peter brought up, and I think it's worth 
just sharing this story that back in the day when we used to listen to music together in the Rush Cove after after church, we'd also sometimes listen to the Real Men of Genius ads because <laughs> I had downloaded all of them. And they're a real hoot. If you go back and listen to them, I particularly enjoy them. Uh, you might also enjoy them if you share my sense of humor. <laughs> I was so pleased to see that, though. That that was the only thing that night that put a smile on my face. Oh, man, this that commercial was, was one of the greatest advertising com- campaigns of all time. You can't convince me otherwise. And I'm so thankful. The rest of that Bud Light ad was pretty bad, but it reminded us of <laughs> this excellent commercial campaign. And now we just get to re-listen to all of them in 2021 and, you know, make our lives a little happier. That's right. <laughs> All right, enough about that Super Bowl. Let's move into our our 2020 lists. I think we'll start off by talking about the players that improved the most. I don't mind starting. I think, I think this one's a little controversial, but I would say Tyus Bowser improved this year. And I say this because I think his pass coverage improved greatly. I know his sack numbers weren't where they were last year, um, but I think that also might be somewhat because we had so many more players who were supposed to be pass rush specialists or defensive linemen to generate pressure. I think the scheme might've been different. And um, I think he's a definition of one of those guys that we might be able to resign as an 80, 20 player and get a decent amount of contribution at much lower price. So Tyus Bowser is one of the first people I wanted to bring up. That's interesting. I had Bowser on a different list. Oh, but we're not on that list right now. I mean, I will, I will say yeah. this pass coverage. The guy did, um, improve quite a bit. Um, so like I, he's a weird one because he definitely improved, but did he improve as much as, as we wanted him to improve? But that's, I mean, I feel like when you're looking at the, this year for the Ravens, aside from a couple guys, that's kind of where you're at. My number five guy I had on my list was Bradley Bozeman. And you yeah. could argue with that one too, because there were some games this year where he just did not play well at all. Um, but I think overall, especially from a run blocking perspective, he was one of the the most consistent linemen uh, on the team. At times, that didn't mean much, but you know, this guy looks like he was a very solid late round find by the Ravens. Not just a guy who got hot last year, which he could have been and could have completely fallen off this year. So, and he's just a great guy with the fans and the community. Uh, Bradley Bozeman is really turning into a solid contributor on the Ravens. Yeah, it was funny. I actually, I left him off my list just because uh, I I thought he kind of stayed static with 2019. Like he he would have been most improved, I think at the end of 2019. Um, But because I I felt 2019 to 2020 was kind of about the same for him. Um, So I didn't put him on there, but uh, I'll just go ahead and and say who else is on my most improved list. And then we can kind of talk about him. You guys can jump in with anybody that, uh, that you have or if you want to discuss Ty Spouser was on my most improved, Alex, so I'm, I'm kind of with you there. Like, I lose. <laughs> <laughs> nobody, nobody loses. It's just, it's just, just bringing it up. I mean, I mean, you're right, Peter. You know, he wasn't the pass rushing monster that we wanted. We probably expected a bigger jump, but like overall, I, I think the 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 biggest thing for me was that he became a player now that was more of like, you know, if he's not on the field, we're asking why. Right, he he was definitely a specialist in certain situations, and we were expecting him to make plays in in those situations. And I think more often than not, he made a couple of those plays. It just so happens that they weren't sacks, but a few crucial interceptions and in, in pass coverage, and and just overall, just kind of like a well-rounded player. But yeah, in addition to Bowser, I had four other guys. So Orlando Brown was actually on the top of my list, and. You know, I think it's still really unfortunate now that we have to talk about him not being a Raven because he had such a great year this year, switching from the right to the left side. Going in this year, like if, if Stanley went down week one, I you know, I really wouldn't, I wouldn't know if I would have had confidence in Orlando Brown to make that uh, position change. Um, but after this year, it's like, nope, he's totally, he could play right, he could play left. He was totally fine on either side. So he's my number one. Gus Edwards, I actually had number two. And then the other two guys to round it out, I had Deshaun Elliott and I had Marquise Brown. Nice. So I have a couple things to say. I had Bozeman on my list. I didn't. These weren't ranked. This was just in the order I, I kind of like thought of them. I had Bozeman on my list. And the reason I said it was he was a consistent starter this year. And the only other guy who could say that was OBJ. And the line was screaming for consistency. He was a six-round pick. I think he's value. 
And then speaking of which, OBJ, like he stepped up at the left hand side and played at a really good level. And now it's kind of hurting us maybe, but um, it's better to have that kind of flexibility and than not. And yes, Gus Edwards, what, the, what else is there to say? The steel was sharpened by steel. He earned the reason to have more snaps in an offense full of good runners. And I think he made some great strides in the passing game. He actually might have been our best pass catching back because of Dobbins' drop issues. You didn't see that of Gus. Yeah, isn't that crazy? If just week week one, I think he was a completely different player than what he was week 17. It was really kind of like a, I think an in-season transformation of just how much his game had really stepped up. Um, and it's just, it, it's it's amazing to see, right? It's just like bringing out the, the right players the right uh, position uh, position room and having enough competition to to really just make a player you know not get frustrated but just get better every single day. I, I think Gus was probably you know the uh, the the biggest you know moniker of, of of just like you know getting better every single day. Yeah, one hundred percent. A lot of overlap here with my list as well. Uh, three three to one. I had Orlando Brown at three, Deshaun Elliott at two, Gus Edwards at one. Just to add one more thing with Edwards, like you look at just his rushing stats, sure, it's it looks pretty similar to what he he did the previous two seasons. But touchdowns were up. Uh, like we said, he added a new dimension to his game as a receiver. And if you just look at his rushing style, like there was some it really added some agility moves to his repertoire that he, you really didn't see much of him do that in his previous two seasons, where he was more of just more of a straight ahead power back. Um, he's just really had a really really great season and then number four on my list one guy you just didn't have on uh yours was this, i had patrick ricard because of how he stepped up when nick boyle went out um and just really found a consistent spot for himself in the offense uh was uh even showed that he could be a receiver when the ravens needed to step up in the game against tennessee in the second half I could see the argument where you could also say that he was kind of static, but I put him on the list because he had to step up and have a bigger role than he's had in previous seasons after the Boyle injury. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I had a couple more people too. Um, I think a couple honorable mentions was Jihad Ward. He really made a name for himself near the end of the year. And for a guy who's making like the vet minimum, nice. You'd love to see it. Willie Sneed, I thought he just had a lot of like grit and he made a lot of dirty work, both as a run blocker and also making some contested catches. And he might have been the only beacon of consistency in a wide receiver group that was desperately needing it. So I give him props for that. Pernell McPhee, for being a fan of youth and having some of the biggest games when he really needed it. He had a really great step up. And then last but not least, uh, I mean, probably actually least, Ben Powers. Um <laughs> We were looking for a guard, and I think other than that last game, he played pretty well, and I think he could legitimately become the right guard starter this year and have a full-on Bozeman-style breakout next year. So I think that's my hope for him, is that he really breaks out and is similar to Bozeman and just being a pretty darn solid middle-to-late-round guy. Yeah, definitely hope so. I mean, like you said, there was a lot of po- I think there were a lot more positives this year. Uh, with powers than negatives certainly some things for him to work on this offseason but certainly seems like a guy who Ravens fans can have some hope that he could be a a key starter going forward yeah I will say just one note before we go on to our uh, next segment here that Marquise Brown I I definitely considered uh, putting in this list or on the other list Uh, but I will say that you know all things considered I think near the end of the season I think his stock was definitely trending up I think he had a great last few games I think he had a great game against the Titans and he had a pretty good game against the Bills as well even though everybody else on the offense was pretty anemic so while yeah he you know may have not lived up to the hype that we were expecting in in July and August when we were watching all those uh, uh hype videos on Instagram he still did pretty good so I, I'm willing to put him on the on the most improved definitely am excited for him to take an even bigger step knowing that we have these new hires 
Chris, you stole my big reveal. I left a guy off my list that was on my most improved list. It was Hollywood Brown because he's also on my most disappointing list. I put him in both. <laughs> and it, you pretty much summed it up, right? <laughs> like, unless the guy came out and had an Antonio Brown style, like his cousin's season, he was going to be a little disappointing because we were super hyped about him. Like, we had yeah. him so hyped. Um, but I definitely think this is my number one takeaway. When I was writing my notes, I, I wrote this down and I, I felt really good about it. He is our Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry, not all the snaps he gets is he productive. A lot of the times it's two yards, right? But you have to keep feeding him for him to get those 40 yards, to get those killers. And I think Marquise Brown is the same way. You've got to keep feeding him. Do I want more consistency and better hands? 100. Yes. Like he needs to work on that. It's the most, the biggest thing that's holding him back right now. But we did see some progress from him. And I think, like you said, he came up in those big time moments and it's just a matter of a little bit more refinement. I think he definitely was healthier this year, so it wasn't that holding him back. It was something else, and he needs to work on it, but he can still get there. So, yeah, he was on both of my lists. That was my my big reveal. <laughs> yeah, I can see that argument. And, I mean, sure, midseason I was with everyone else with giving Marquise Brown some crap. But I, I actually argue I, I wouldn't put him on a disappointment list this year. I, I think his season kind of got overblown with the comments he made after the Pittsburgh game. I think the general feeling about Brown before that was, well, they're not really throwing him to, to him terribly much. He doesn't really seem like they're, he's part of the game plan. So that's more on the coaching, it would seem. And yeah, he needs to do better at catching contested catches and not getting jammed on the outside, which, you know, he's a problem he has with some bigger cornerbacks, but I could, I see both sides to the argument. I would fall under, I think we want more consistency out of this guy, but you look at, you know, some other big name wide receivers who struggle with consistency early in their seasons. Um, I think if you compare him to what, you know, gosh, Brashad Perryman, his first two seasons, if he could have had the first two seasons that Marquise Brown had, I think we would have had a lot more hope going into 2017 with him. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. That's right. So Chris, who's your uh who's one of your most disappointing guys? The top guy I had on my most disappointing, um, you know, I hate to put him here, Matt Scarra. You know, uh week one we were all just surprised that he was out there playing and he seemed to be playing okay, not great, but okay. And we were like, Okay, cool. He just needs to get a little bit healthy and and, and come back. After that Patriots game, yeah, he's he's not coming back, uh, sadly. Probably not gonna come back to the Ravens next year unless, you know, something happens. Um so he was my number one. Uh, Miles Boykin was number two, Jalen Ferguson three, Yannick Ngakwe was four, and then Mark Ingram. Hate to put him there, but uh, he was the fifth on my most disappointing. Yeah, some similarities with my list. Um, I'm going to go bottom up. Uh, Ngakwe was number five, and then I did have Bowser at number four for the reasons I said earlier. Number three, I had Boykin, and yeah, it did pain me to put Ingram at number two on the list. Um I think his uh, contributions off the field were incredible this season and probably had uh, a huge impact on guys' morale and helping out younger guys do well, which certainly translated into into production on the field. But um, just from a just purely looking at what he brought on the field this year, it was nothing nothing close to what we were hoping for from him. So unfortunate to put him there. And then number one on the list, which I thought was the clear number one, I don't think how you could argue for any other player for the number one disappointment for this season, was uh, Earl Thomas. <laughs> what more is there to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I, yeah, I didn't even, I didn't even put him on there, but yeah, I guess, I guess he counts. Yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. I think Ngakwe is a really good add. I didn't have him on my list, but it totally checks out. He was very disappointing. I know when we got him, we were all talking like, oh my gosh, this is the missing piece. This defense already looks good. Imagine with him. And it just never gelled. So that's that definitely is a good pick, guys. Um, otherwise, very similar lists. I only have one guy who's different and then a joke as well, similar to Peter. Uh, oh, Earl Thomas isn't a joke. <laughs> I mean, I, I know it's not a joke, <laughs> it, it, but it was funny. I don't know. Sorry. Yeah, it's not a joke, but he didn't even play a snap. So it's like, yeah, understood. Fair enough. Um, neither did my guy, for what it's worth. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, Matt Skura, definitely a huge disappointment. I think he played decent as a six lineman where he didn't have the snapping responsibilities, but you're not going to keep a guy around for that when you have cheaper young options for that. Hopefully, he's able to revitalize his career. I truly do 
you know, I think he's a good guy. So that'd be nice. Um, yeah, Sack Daddy was not the one. He got demoted by Jihad Ward's um, standout plays. And I know we have an embarrassment of riches. So I think this year with people being free agents and we might not get them all back, um, it's a big year for Ferguson to show us that he's worth keeping around because if not, he's going to be probably out of the league. I mean, maybe someone will take a shot on him, but he'll be on the outside looking in. Miles Boykin, um, not much more to say there. Uh, he just needs to become more consistent. And I had a guy, uh, none of you guys mentioned, Mark Andrews. You know, he disappeared from game plans. And I think, like, I know overall he had a good year, but I just was hoping for something more and him to be, you know, more consistent for the Ravens and it just wasn't quite there. And my rim shot guy is uh, Daylon Mack. <laughs> 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 Jeez. Yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah, yeah. Wasted draft pick. Yeah, that one was sad. He's on Tennessee now. Did you know that? He didn't play a snap, but I, I guess it maybe practice squad or something. Man. Oh, Tennessee, the only team that got an F in uh, last year's draft. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> man, Jeez. they love the returns so much on Correa. They had to double dip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Uh, I will push back on Mark Andrews, though. I, I really don't think his season was disappointing at all I think that sure like Marquise Brown uh he's got to get a little shorter with his hands but especially you know when you take into consideration he missed a couple games due to COVID and who knows how that affected him because we know that with the diabetes he has that's puts you at a little more risk of having to have a full recovery from coronavirus um you look how his season's numbers stacked up against the Ravens tight end seasons. I mean, I don't have it right in front of me, but just looking at what he did compared to like Todd Heap, Dennis Pitta, uh, Shannon Sharp, I think his totals were probably somewhere between sixth and 10th for all time season as a Ravens starting tight end. I'm very interested as to why he didn't have a monster postseason. I thought that the Ravens were really going to try and lean on him kind of like they did Anquan Bolden this coming pre- post or this past postseason, uh, just because he is such a matchup mismatch for linebackers. But um, yeah, I guess we can maybe we'll delve into the offseason, see if was that more on the coaching game plan or just not really getting open. But yeah, I mean, but at the same time, we're holding Mark Andrews, Marquise Brown, and Lamar Jackson to a high, a high degree. Um, yeah, you know we want these guys to be what Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and Travis Kelsey are right now. So definitely expecting big things from them. And each of those three guys have to have a better season next year than than this year. Yeah, Peter, I think you put it well. I'm, I had in my notes, Mark Andrews. It wasn't a bad year, but I think he regressed under what his mean should be right? Like his year wasn't as good as it needs to be. And I really want him to have a year that puts him in the conversations with guys like Kittle, Kelsey, uh, believe it or not, Waller of all people, uh, you know, like, um, you know, I just I want him. I mean, it's true. It won't have a really good year. No, I, no, I know. It just, yeah. it just hurts, man. You know? Yeah. Imagine if he was our, our third tight end, right? Oh my God. Gnarly. Yeah. Well, he wouldn't be because he would have asked for a trade, just like uh, just like Hurst. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah, I guess for me, it's like Andrews kind of was like a, either like a, a went up like basically it was kind of the same as last year. Maybe like dipped a little bit, but like not enough for me to say that he was super disappointing. But definitely, I mean, yeah, near the end of the year, um, particularly probably after he was diagnosed with COVID, it was just like he was trending down. Didn't mm-hmm. have as many good games as he did at the beginning of the year. Mm, I would argue, I mean, against Cleveland and uh, Jacksonville, he had two of his best games of this, of this year. But Cleveland, he always has good games, and Jacksonville is the worst team in the That's NFL. That's true. I mean, I thought your point about the playoffs <laughs> was perfect, right? Yeah. Playoff games, he made some drops, yeah. he didn't like perform, you know, he wasn't the big guy, like he wasn't, you know, a, a beacon of consistency. That's the thing the offense needs more than anything. We talk about the coaches, they need consistency, man, and hopefully they can coach that into these players. Yeah. One last thing, and then we can move on from Mark Andrews for some uh, perspective. Seven touchdown catches for Mark Andrews that tied Todd Heap's career high. 2005, Todd Heap had seven. And 701 receiving yards was more than all but just three of Todd Heap's years with the Ravens. Fair enough, man. That's a good point. 
Oh, we have to we have to rank our draft picks. I totally forgot about that, guys. Did you do that? Oh, oh, I, I did. did. Yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, awesome. As we were talking now, because I forgot to. <laughs> oh, I forgot I was on my <laughs> list. Uh, when we at the top of the show, dude. Ranking draft picks. This was a lot of fun, and I actually brought out the Jimmy scale. Oh wow, you went way in way more in depth than I did. <laughs> I didn't quite. Yeah. Well, I what I did was I ranked them all. I just did it off memory, you know, like, and then I I looked at the Jimmy scale because I was kind of curious if like. I could give them a score. I didn't do this, but just like looking at it, like could I have given them a score such that like if you divide it by their their Jimmy points, it would have like made sense. And the answer is no, because Prochet is so cheap from a Jimmy points perspective that like just playing at all, <laughs> he was useful. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like he would probably sure, well, yeah. ex- well exceed like any of the top guys. <laughs> right. Yeah. Was Prochet uh, <laughs> fifty times worse than J.K. Dobbins? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So, anyways, or like Huntley would probably be like a divide by zero. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he just goes to the moon. Yeah. Oh boy. Short squeeze on uh on Huntley. <laughs> anyways, I'll 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 just rattle them off real quick. I think that might be the easiest way. I had Dobbins number one. No shock to the community. Matabuke number two. Queen Duvernay Phillips Harrison Prochet. Brennan, Washington, Stone. Yeah, it's a pretty good ranking. I actually did took the not as obvious and actually took put Matabuke at number one. I think nice. you look at this guy's film, you just look at his stats, sure, nothing really pops out, but that's because, especially with defensive linemen, you got to actually look at the tape and got to look at how they're doing against offensive linemen. And Matabuke has some pretty good film if you take some time to look at it. Really good at run defense this year showed several um, examples of being able to penetrate the pocket and put, apply pressure to the quarterback. I think we could look at this draft several years from now of him being the most complete player uh, from this group. But yeah, Dobbins at number two. I came very close to putting him number one as well. Uh, there are some things he needs to work on with his game, obviously pass protection and catching the ball. But as far as a pure runner, I mean, he was excellent this year. And then, yeah, had Queen, Harrison, Duvernay, Prochet, Bredesen, Phillips, Washington, Stone. <laughs> Phillips below Bredesen? Wow. Sorry, I read that wrong. No, I had to have Phillips right over Bredesen. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, I know Phillips. Yeah, Phillips yeah. struggled some this year, but he yeah, struggled he a lot, played. But yeah, wow. <laughs> Bryderson did not see the field much. No. (laughs) Thanks for catching me on that. (laughs) Below the eighth lineman? What? (laughs) You're so bad that we wish we saw the eighth lineman more. (laughs) Yikes. Poor Tyree. All right. Oh, man. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, no. um, Yeah, I was definitely surprised to see Manabuke so high on both of your lists, guys. Um, You know, I guess maybe I was just ranking them more on like. 2020 contributions only and less on like who do i think is going to be the best player in this draft class um so i you know i obviously i had some guys further up i think than, than maybe where you had them on your list but um i dobbins number one as well look i i just put here the guy looks like one of the next great running backs in the nfl super powerful fast cuts up field quickly insane balance ingram died so that dobbins could emerge basically <laughs> yeah. you know he, he just had a fantastic season Patrick Queen, number two. Uh, Tyree Phillips, three. I actually, I did struggle putting him at three because obviously, you know, we know his weaknesses. He's not very great right now. But, you know, I just have to say, like, the coaching staff trusted him enough to give him the starting guard spot. He got hurt, but then he came back. He was still in the lineup. And then eventually he basically started with Fluker at right tackle um, because Fluker wasn't good enough to hold the spot. So the coaching staff likes him for whatever reason. Uh, we we'll hope that he can, you know, improve as a player and, and become that tackle guard wherever we're going to place him. But uh, yeah, clearly I think he has a lot of work to maintain that spot. Um, but I had Matabuke at number four. Um, you know, I even put here more clearly more talented than a lot of these guys, but he just didn't see the field as much. And then after Matabuke, I had Duvernay, Harrison, Prochet. I put Huntley on there as well, even though he's undrafted. Um, and then after him, I put Washington, Bredesen, and Stone. That's fair. Washington probably should have been ahead of Bredesen. That's good credit. For, yeah, I like that. Definitely a lot of things to the a lot of good potential in this draft showed up in year one. Oh yeah, definitely. 
yeah, I mean, Harrison could definitely become a every down, maybe not every down, but you know what I mean, like a solid contributor, starter. I think Matt Ibuke has a big future. And there's obvious, like, Dobbins and Queen are in starting roles, so they'll see time. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's there's talent here, for sure. Yeah, I just did a little bit more from that value perspective. Like, Queen is less value, or has more value than Matabuke and Dobbins. And I know Queen played a lot, and he had a big lot of splash plays. I'm not trying to take that away, but, like, you know, that's kind of nice. Jacob Dobbins and Matabuke there, you know. Kind of, like, made me think about trades, right? Like, if you told me you could trade, you know, your first-round pick this year, because we have the 28th pick yet again, just like we picked Queen, and get two guys like Dobbins and Manapuke, not knowing who is at 28, I might be interested, right? That's all I'm saying. Yeah, if DaCosta continues to, you know, hit on a lot of these picks in, in this year. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. I saw a conversation on Twitter. I'd love to have this conversation maybe in the offseason, maybe when we get to the draft show. I'll just lead the seed. But there's they were talking about the studs and duds approach of a team like Casey. How do you feel about that? And uh, and the Rams, you know, also trading away first round pick after first round pick, like they're allergic to choosing in the first round. Um, and I kind of made me think about it a little bit. Like, yeah, like there might be value to that because if you can hit a decent rate in general in your draft, just having more picks is like what you want. And I kind of maybe like appreciate why the Ravens like to trade back so much because they just are confident in their process and they just want to hit like as many of their guys as possible to get the best outcomes. I guess the problem with the Rams though is that they don't get more picks. They just they get proven players, right? That's yeah. that's the big difference. I I don't know how their drafting is in the mid and late rounds to know if if they're actually like replenishing the roster on the other side. No, they're leaning on those studs. Yeah, okay. And I mean the other issue with that too is like okay, you draft a bunch of guys, you hit well, then you end up with the Ravens like quote unquote problem where they can't resign everybody. And granted you might get comp picks and that might help out, but there's like that side of it too. Cause you also just have to be good enough to win it all at the end of the day. Like none of this matters. Like, I don't know. I love having a consistently good team and I'm appreciative of that. But like, if we don't win any Super Bowls in the next 10 years and we're just like consistently great, it'd be a little frustrating, <laughs> you know, yeah. like that, that is what we're here for. Right. <laughs> so, um, there's definitely both sides of the equation. I, I can see it. It's an interesting yeah. discussion. Absolutely. All right, well, to close out the show, uh, we did this last year, and it was a nice way to just do a little bit of a retrospective before we move on to just talking purely about how the Ravens are going to prepare for 2021, was uh, ranking our top five moments of the season. Uh, for this one, do we want to just go do the, the round table of everyone says five and then go yeah. four in that? We'll snake. Cool. We're going to snake it up. I'll go first then. Uh, for my... Number five moment, I had the Ravens clinching the playoffs, that game against the Bengals that we were so scared about, and then the Ravens proceeded to <laughs> try and break the rushing record again. Um, and I mean, you know, it, it, that game itself was not super memorable, but it was just kind of that the Ravens clinched after it looked like they were a lock going into the bye week, and then we were like, oh, wait a second, we need all these teams to lose, the Ravens to even have a chance, even if they do win out, for them to finally get it, you know, if it was a good feeling from a cumulative perspective, I think. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, I, I kind of forgot that. Kind of forgot about it a little bit, but yeah, we were definitely worried going into that game. We're like, we all remember 2017. We know, we know, we know. Please, <laughs> please do not repeat this. Yeah, my my number five actually, I kind of went with a play, and you know, this I, I may have been thinking about this guy uh, prior to this, which is why I put it on here. But I put the uh, I put the karate kick from Ingram week two against the Texans. Um, I kind of just wanted to, to send him off a little bit, right? Of That was one of those great plays early on in the season. It made us think that, you know, things were going to be the same as last year. Unfortunately, it wasn't. And unfortunately, that was probably one of his only highlight plays for the year. But I thought it was just a really cool play. And just to show that, like, you know, Ingram's the same guy. So it looks like we're all choosing running plays for the fifth pick. I had the J.K. Dobbins 72-yard run in Week 17. Not just because my guy got a, a breakaway, but I also really loved the Bozeman butt shake and touchdown celebration. <laughs> and he was wired for that game. So it was just like a pretty good moment just from that perspective. That nice. I will add an honorable mention, I guess, because I don't know what else I'll say it. But the Tyre Phillips fumble run on third down, that was kind of cool. <laughs> like, it was pretty memorable, at least. He won angry runs that week, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it was perfect. The guys were just flying off of it. It was like the definition of a kinematics, like, uh, you know, or momentum or whatever you want to call it, like a yeah, physics he, lesson. Uh, 
Yeah, he had quite a hit on uh, Miles Jack on that play. Yeah, he threw him back like six yards. <laughs> and that's why we didn't draft Miles Jack. <laughs> yeah. My number four was Lamar Jackson's 40-yard-ish run against the Titans in the playoffs. I thought it was a great way for him to kind of come back and you know show that he can win in the playoffs. I'll note that there are many plays like this, including the ones against the Eagles and against the Wooft. Um, and I don't know. We kind of somewhat take them for granted, but I think that one was probably the best one. So I gave him that for four. Oh, yeah, certainly. I mean, it was the, the one that had the most impact for sure. I mean, you know, the Ravens were down 10 points at that at that point in the game. And, uh, yeah, if they don't convert that third down conversion, you know, the Titans get the ball back before halftime and it could be a 17 to nothing game. So that was a huge momentum swing, and uh, yeah, great play. My uh, my number four was actually the uh, Marlon Humphrey. Uh, I guess I just put fruit punch in here because that's probably what the YouTube video was called. But you guys know the play I'm talking about, where he uh, he tackles the Bengals wide receiver and with his other arm punches the ball out. Queen picks it up, returns it for a touchdown. Um, I just remember when we were talking about this play, we were just like, this is one of the greatest plays we've seen from a Ravens defender in quite a uh, quite a long time, and. Uh, yeah, it, it seems so long ago because it was in the beginning of the season. But, yeah, it was just super impactful. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, the, g- the game didn't really mean much because it was it was basically a blowout. But it was still a fantastic play from Marlon. Yeah, both those are great picks. Um, I, I'm noticing that you guys did more individual moments and I did more cumulative game moments from my list. But I think both are, both are great ways to approach this. So uh, for my number four, I actually put the game against the Steelers that looked like it might never happen because, you know, obviously we were all as a fan base, just not in a happy place at that time. You know, obviously the Ravens had a huge COVID thing and they were just going to put a shell of their team out there. And we didn't know if the Ravens could afford to lose any more games to, to still make the playoffs, but you got to give the team a ton of credit and the coaching staff for going out there and, making sure that game wasn't a total blowout and probably the Ravens performance in that game, you know, you could make the argument that also kickstarted the downfall of the overconfident <laughs> Steelers, which culminated in that laugher of a first quarter in the wildcard weekend. So that was a good moment for both catapulting the Ravens season, salvaging it basically and uh, destroying the Steelers, even though the Ravens lost the game. Yeah. They, they didn't leave that happy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I, I I was struggling with that because I know there's just there's just been so many low moments with COVID related and you know, I did I didn't really want to put it in there, but yeah, if, if there's any silver lining to be taken away from that, it was it was definitely that, you know, the the Ravens put a good showing out despite everybody yeah. that they had on the COVID list and yeah, I didn't think about that. Ruining kind of the Steelers season at that point was uh that's that's it's a good that's a good moment. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, certainly what happened with COVID, I mean, gosh, that, that was that was terrible that that happened, but I think the Ravens, how the Ravens responded to that, and we talked about it at the time, we said how the Ravens respond to this is going to be to define define how their season's going to end up in the end, um, and I think, you know, regardless of what happened, how they responded to it was pretty much as best as they could. Yeah. Uh, number three moment for me in the season, I guess, is when... Uh, it's when Superman ran out of the tunnel against Cleveland, came back in there and had that big play on fourth down to a, a, another season salvaging moment because when Trace McSurley went down, I guess we were going to throw Willie Sneed out there. It certainly looked like the Ravens were going to lose that game, but uh, they came back with that big play between Lamar and Hollywood and eventually Justin Tucker would drill the winning field goal. Definitely one of the most exciting games in Ravens history. That was a thrilling game to watch even though the Browns did tear up our defense somehow they were the only team to really tear up the defense post that COVID bout but still a great game yeah actually it's funny my number three Peter was probably the same reason that you picked your number four um but I I just chose a different game so I I had the career day against the Cowboys um because finally Lamar Jackson had come back most of the team at that point I think had come back uh from the COVID list and you know, again, for the same reasons that you mentioned the Pittsburgh game, it was just, I thought it was a, it was a game that they had to win. It was a game that they needed to come out and make a statement and kind of like revitalize their season. And they came out and they did it in a, in a big way. Um, 
you know, setting rushing records and, and just overall like an extremely dominant performance by the Ravens. There was a play during that game that I forgot about initially, but then when I looked it up, I, I was I was actually going to have it uh, as another moment on the list, but then I realized, oh, it's the same game, so I'm just going to put it down there. But that was also <laughs> the same game that Orlando Brown Jr. Uh, goes in the end zone after Dobbins scores. I think it was Dobbins. And uh, he does the easy money. So that's my number three moment, the easy money game against the Cowboys. That's probably one of the best slogans from the year. I like that one. My number three was Chuck Clark's leap over P River. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> now I'm wishing I put that one on my list. Yes. Yes. Great moment. I, I had to have it on my list. I had to have it on my list. Um, so yeah, Chuck Clark over the P River. Nothing more to say about that. <laughs> my number two was the post poop pass to Hollywood. I know that we all say he didn't poop, but I think it, the alliteration I couldn't pass up. So post poop pass to Hollywood. <laughs> And for all the reasons that Peter said, I mean, that was so much fun. Like, that was amazing. Yeah, just the... I, I can't I can't wait until some fan on YouTube, like, makes a video for that and, like, dramatizes it and everything because it just it is one of those, you know, fantastic plays. Um, that was my number two as well, so I'm going to defer to Peter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, number two for me was um, just a defensive beatdown that the Ravens put in the playoffs, uh, only allowing two offensive touchdowns. Uh, and only one of those where the offense had to go to length of the field, uh, shutting down King Henry. Obviously, we wanted that season to go better, um, but it was certainly a no fault of the defense. They just dialed the clock back to 2000. Um, well, maybe I wouldn't, I don't mean that they were necessarily as good as the 2000s Ravens defense, but they just played to a level of dominance that you don't really see in the NFL these days. But it was not to be this year, but at no fault to the defense. Number one was uh, kickoff of the 2020 season because, you know, we got a full season in. Uh, was it the smart thing to do? Was it risk-free? Uh, probably the answer is no to both those questions. Well, risk-free was definitely no to that. But, you know, we got to watch football this year, and there was a real chance that that wasn't going to be the case, even looking at a month into the season. So I think we just got to be thankful for what we had, and it's certainly... I know I look forward to Sunday afternoons every every weekend with everything that's currently going on. It just, you know, take your mind off things. I was wondering what you were going to do for these two, because when you had the poop passes as three, I was like, <laughs> I was like, what's his other play? Because I totally respect and, and will acknowledge what you said about the defensive performance. But I was like, wait, what? Where's this play? All right, fair enough. That's, I mean, that, that's, yeah, without that, we don't get any of those other ones. So it's a good point. Chris, what did you have? Now I'm wondering, you probably had the same play here, Alec, uh, but we'll see. Marcus Peters' interception to close out the Titans game and the yep. subsequent <laughs> celebration. <laughs> that Dude, was my number one. Going, in, going into 2020 with that loss against the Titans last year in the divisional round, I mean, that stung. That sucked. But that interception, oh man, that just made it so, so worth it. So it was a fantastic play. It was just, it felt so great. As I mean, as a fan, I'm sure as a player, it felt, you know, it felt great in the moment. But like as a fan, you know, it just, it felt so great to finally get that monkey off our back and, and beat the Titans uh, in a game that counted, right? I mean, we really wanted that game in week nine. Couldn't close out that game. Didn't have enough guys on defense, but. You know, because we had everybody, we had everybody on defense playing really well, um, and because of that interception, we just were able to finally get the win, and, and that was super nice. And I have YouTube links for all of these plays if you guys would like to look at them, so we can put those in the notes. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! I'll say this: similar to when you're cooking, you need to balance the bitter with the sweet to create a perfect meal, and that play had it. We were bitter about what happened last year, and it was so sweet to see him beat him, and in that fashion. <laughs> so, I'll just put it like that: like it was, uh, <laughs> you know, like a good beer. You have to balance the bitter and the sweet notes, and they did it. I think that's it. Ah, now we've got a long, long ways to wait till we get another football game. That's okay, man. We got a lot of film to watch, and like, I don't know about you guys, but. This is the first year I'm talking about doing a dynasty fantasy football. So I got a lot of film to watch from the, the rookies. I got to have a good draft. I got to figure out who's on the up and up, who's on the downswing. I think there's a lot of 
of football analysis to do this offseason. And if you don't feel that way, maybe you should start a dynasty <laughs> with some of your friends because <laughs> I'm trying to win this thing. <laughs> I'm trying to build a dynasty. <laughs> I want to be Eric DaCosta, man. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to it. That's what I'm saying. I'm looking forward to the offseason. <laughs> I know we don't have football, and boy, does it make me sad. I had a really, really crappy weekend overall. I was like, and I don't have football to watch? This is the worst. <laughs> I had no football, like you said, Peter, to like make me forget about everything. And yeah, I just, uh, I appreciate football, but gotta, gotta start doing some film study or something, you know? Gotta, gotta get prepared, look at the draft, look at uh, free agency and stuff. So lots to look forward to, guys. Absolutely is. And we will have episodes out through all this offseason detailing all the Ravens news that comes up. With that, we're going to wrap up this episode of Ravens Recap. You guys can uh, reach out to us and, and let us know your thoughts on the episode or if you have any uh, thing you'd like us to discuss in the next ones or you know if you just have any ideas that you know you want us to talk about, you can uh, tweet at us at Ravens underscore recap or send us email at feedback at ravensrecap.com. We'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, we will see you guys in a few weeks for our next episode. <laughs>